Welcome to Pivot the Podcast, exploring career twists and turns with me, Laura Oldfield. Welcome to Pivot the Podcast. It's me, Laura Oldfield. How are you doing? I'm recording this introduction quite early on December the 29th, 2023. I don't normally work in the holidays. No one else in the house is up yet, but I can hear the baby singing. That's why I got up, because I thought I was going to have to go to him. Anyway, I just want you to imagine me sitting here quietly, listening to the monitor. I wonder if you can hear it. I'll just turn it down. Hold on. There we go. Anyway, how are you doing? Thank you so much for the feedback on the first episode. Wasn't Leah brilliant? I loved sharing her story, her pivots with you. And if you haven't bought the Almanac yet, who knows? Maybe she's got a January sale. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And I hope you can go back and listen to her at some time. And if you've returned, thank you so much. This podcast is all about the pivots that we take. It is not about a particular gender or industry or type of work or place. It's about specific individuals whom I find fascinating and who I know you will as well. And with that in mind, when I was coming up with this podcast concept, it was obvious to me that Liz Mosley should be a guest. I got to know Liz's work through Instagram, where she has this really warm, friendly, yet professional presence on there. I think sometimes it's quite hard to balance that feeling on Instagram of getting to know you online without giving away all of who you are. But Liz absolutely nails that. You may have just heard the cat. He's got ideas that he should be involved in the intro. In this episode, we talk about the complexity of our labels, what we do and how we describe what we do. Liz's official bio is that she's a graphic designer with over 15 years experience. She's gone from being an employee to self-employed work, and she now specialises in creative branding and creating animated GIFs, G-I-F-S, for small business owners. She also has a brilliant, very successful podcast called Building Your Brand, which has loads of brilliant sponsors, including Adobe, with whom she works frequently. And she creates some brilliant DIY courses you might want to take and teacher-led courses led by her. Liz is such a champion of other people. Indeed, we speak a lot about our values in this episode and that's something that comes up for her. I really enjoyed speaking to her about her first forays into self-employment, the different paths she took valuing work-life balance over lofty ambitions, how we deal with rejection and self-doubt, particularly but not always when you are self-employed, how privilege and feelings of safety has so much to do with the decisions that we make in our work and how our values and business decisions might align. We spoke about a lot more than that. These are just some of the highlights. But above all, Liz is really funny, really interesting and was an absolute dream to interview. So enough of me. Let's hand over to Liz. Here she is with season one, episode two of Pivot the Podcast. Welcome to Pivot the Podcast with me, Laura Oldfield, and today I am delighted to have as my guest, branding expert, mum of two, all-round positive person on the internet, Liz Mosley. Liz, welcome to Pivot. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the lovely intro. (laughs) It's a real delight, and you are one of the first people I'm recording for this podcast, and I was saying to Liz just before we pressed record, for those of you that don't know her, As soon as I was 
imagining who I wanted to speak to, I thought of you because you are somebody who has created this online space that is so welcoming, yet so professional. And I think sometimes that can be a really fine line to to balance online. You've managed to get so much of yourself and your personality across without giving away your whole life on the internet. And clearly you have pivoted in your life from a place of employment to a place of self-employment. So I'm really excited to explore that. But can you start by telling me and my listeners or my viewers a little bit about you and how you spent your days? Yeah, sure. Well, I am, as you mentioned, a self-employed branding designer. So I would call myself a graphic designer, but I specialize in branding for small businesses. But then I do do other things because I'm a classic, I think this is quite common now, but you know, like a multi-hyphener, I like doing lots of different things. So while branding design is my sort of main focus, I also have a podcast as well called Building Your Brand. So I spend quite a lot of time doing that because I enjoy it so much. Um, And that's going really well. And then I also work with different brands. So particularly I have an ongoing relationship with Adobe and I do a bunch of work for them. And yeah, so I like to keep my fingers in different pies doing different things. And then in terms of what my days look like, very much I chose a self-employed life to be flexible around my kids. So my day sort of reflects that. So I tend to work my husband's actually self-employed as well. So it actually works quite nicely. We're both quite flexible and we can share the work and childcare time between us. So as of like the last few months, both of our kids have been in school full time. So my days tend to look like uh, nine till three working on my business. I have two longer days uh, where I, yeah, I, my husband picks them up from school and I get a bit longer and they're really varied days, which is something that I love. So It could be like meeting up with a client in person, doing a podcast recording like this, working on branding designs, you know, like there's quite a variety of tasks to do. And I definitely, I actually learned this like when I was employed, like I definitely do well when there's variety in my days. I'm not so good at just sitting there doing one thing for long periods of time. I think that's what's led so many people to the kind of the, almost like the rebirth and the waking up of yeah, it's actually not just about the flex that I'm getting with my childcare. It's not just about the flex that I'm getting to how I'm managing my time. It's the realization, the liberation that actually it's okay if my days look flexible and different. Mm -hmm. But if I was to speak to the Liz of five years ago, is this how she would have imagined her life looking today? I think I'd started to get an inkling of how that this was how I wanted my life to look. Um, so my el- I think everything changed for me when my eldest son was born. Okay. Um, so be- prior to that, I was working for someone else. So I was part of a design team in a university. And I really loved the job and I loved my team. Um, I had started to get, I guess, I kind of like got the itch to start working for myself. So what, what was interesting was when I came out of art college, I had no aspirations to work for myself. Like that yeah. was never on my radar. It wasn't a goal of mine. A lot of my friends wanted to start agencies or wanted to freelance. And I was just like, nah, not interested in that. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting to me that I was so adamantly like not interested in that at that point. And then I think a couple of years before having kids, I started to, I was working in-house at university. And so 
I enjoyed the work that I was doing, but I was working for one company effectively. Mm. And it was really very, it was varied in terms of the types of work that I would do, like the types of projects. Um, but it was very, you know, everything was fitting into this one particular brand. And I think I just started to get like an itch to do my own kind of self-led creative projects. But I think I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial. So I decided to set up a stationary business because I figured then I could design what I wanted. It was a hobby business, right? I could design what I wanted. And if people wanted to buy it, great. But if they didn't, it wasn't a huge loss. I could like print the products in low quantities. It was like a low risk creative project for me. But I started doing that and then um, that kind of picked up a bit. Then I started having people ask me to do design projects for them outside of work. So like it was friends of colleagues or like relatives of colleagues who were like, oh, could I need branding for my new business? Could you do that? So I started doing things like that. And then I think got a taste for doing my own projects. And so what I actually did was I went down to four days a week at work so that I could start building up my own thing. And so that's where I got a taste for it. And then basically when I had my son, like everything changed because it was kind of like, well, my own thing is, it wasn't like, it wasn't at the point at all of replacing my full-time income, but it was picking up and mm. so then it was kind of like now I'm at a crunch point I kind of figured I've got these three things right I've got my job my son and my self-employed work and I was like I think I can do two of these and I, but I can't do three and so obviously <laughs> my son was sticking around so that <laughs> one was like a given so I basically felt really felt like I had to choose between staying employed and pursuing the self-employed kind of thing and I guess at that point I didn't we were living in London and if I had gone back to my job, I would have effectively had to put my son in childcare from eight till six. And that never, as in no judgment to anyone who does that, because I think, you know, you need to, that just didn't, at that point, that didn't appeal to me. So I basically didn't go back to my job. And from that point started alongside looking after little kids, pursuing a freelance career. And I think at the beginning it was frustrating in some senses because I started it at the same time as having children so I had very limited time to work on it so I I suddenly had all this ambition I think because I think there is something quite different like when you work the ambition you have when you work for yourself compared to the ambition that you have when you work for other people I think is quite different and so I suddenly had this real burning desire that I wanted to build this thing and I wanted it and it was for me and for my family. And it was a really beautiful thing having this sort of creative outlet alongside being on maternity leave and having kids because I really felt like actually that that grounded me and that was a connection to pre-mum me that sort of kept this constant that was actually really helpful because I definitely did feel at sea when I became a mum. So yeah, it was a frustrating first couple of years. Amazing because I could just flexibly fit it around having kids, but also frustrating because I suddenly had all this ambition and I couldn't necessarily do anything about it as quickly as I wanted. It was kind of like I would build things up a bit and then I had my second kid and so then things I had to take things back a bit again. And then after my second child was about one, basically we were in the pandemic 
my husband decided he was going to go self-employed, so quit his job. Oh, and we decided, I know, yeah, it was all very, it was all very life-changing yeah. and dramatic. All at the decisions. same time, big life decisions. But actually, weirdly, and I don't think this is a, this is, I think this is kind of like unique to our situation, not necessarily universal, but I think weirdly the pandemic like emboldened us. I think before the mm-hmm. pandemic, we wouldn't have had the guts to both be self-employed. But my business was starting to do quite well. He worked in something um, that actually like benefited from the pandemic, as in what he was doing was in very sought after. Yeah. And so I think it did embolden us to just take the leap, whereas before I don't think we ever would have done it. So he went self-employed. But what that meant was that we really shared the childcare and the work. We basically decided that, okay, we'll both go for this but we're doing it 50-50. So we basically would work shifts. And so we would we split the childcare and the work. And so then I suddenly had more time that yeah. I had had in years to work on my business. And that's when it started to like really take off. And I was like, okay, I can actually, I can replace my income. You know, like I can make this like a actual job that is going to sustain us as a family. So yeah, I guess that's how that pivot happened and how I turned from kind of like unplanned turn from being employed to being freelance. I just wanted to take a moment because I feel like it needs to be printed on a t-shirt of like that ambition that we have for our big self-employed dreams. There is something very unique about it. And, you know, Mm. you use that word that like burning of, I just really want to make this happen. I recognize that so much. And I think so many people listening will that feeling of like, but this is, this is so important to me now and I can't put it down I'm going to rewind the years for a minute if I might I'm fascinated to know and I wonder if you've given it much thought that feeling of Liz the you know 21 year old however old you were you'd been through art college where I assume you'd kind of eventually specialized in something and gone okay actually it's about graphic design and then obviously the work is in branding do you think you know yourself why you didn't go yes and now it's time for me to set up the Liz thing or why you felt yeah the next right step is for me to go into employment yeah, I'm not sure I think actually I was particularly ambitious at that point I knew I needed to get a job but I yeah. didn't have these sort of like huge aspirations and you know like there was a there was a vague dream in the background of like getting employed by some famous design studio but I quickly lost that because some of my friends did get employed by really famous design studios and actually it's fairly miserable. <laughs> yeah. I think I really valued work life balance at that yeah. point and I didn't I I just wasn't ambitious in the sense that I wanted to do well in my career, but I didn't want to be working like nine till 12 at night every yeah, day, yeah. like on deadlines for clients. And I think the impression was, is that's really what you had to do if you wanted to make it in like one of these really famous, yeah, I keep saying famous design studios, but you know what I mean? There's yeah. like, there was like a list of like dream studios that everyone wanted to work for. And I think that wasn't ever particularly... Or very quickly, that was seemed less appealing to me. And so I started off in a little design studio for a year. That was my first job. And then I went into the university. And actually, in both those jobs, there was like times where things were busier. But both those jobs, I pretty much had a very good work-life balance. And I could check out at five and not have to think about my work. And that is something that I miss a little bit now, self-employed, because obviously I do not, I, could, I never 
I, well, obviously I have breaks and I don't work, but like I could never fully switch off from it in the yeah. way that I did back then because I care about it so much more. But yeah, so then, yeah, I think that's why I never really considered self-employed life. I think a big part of it as well is that I just wanted to go and learn and get experience. Yeah. And I'm actually really good, glad that I did that. Like I think going self-employed, I, this is, I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it because I know plenty of people who've gone self-employed straight away and have built incredible businesses, very successful, very quickly, actually. But I think for me, I really wanted to just, I, yeah, I was still in that kind of like learning, wanting to absorb everything. And I wanted to learn from other designers. And so actually working for other people was the best way for me to do that, being part of a team at that point. I think as well it, that obviously the internet was already huge at that point. But for example, when I was at university, this is going to date me, like (laughs) Facebook had only just started. There wasn't Instagram. So the way we were sharing our work, I was still traveling around to interviews with a printed portfolio in a folder. The way we learned and shared our work was still quite traditional. Mm. And so I think now... I feel confident that I could go out and learn and find the information I needed online so easily. But back then it wasn't quite at that point. And so I think actually like going into a studio or being part of a team and learning from other designers like that felt like the logical next step because online courses, I mean, they would, there definitely would have been some, you know, they, I think the open university and things like that, but it, that wasn't so much on my radar as at that point. Whereas now, I think if I was graduating now, I would probably feel quite different. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there always seems to be kind of such a rush to be making something of ourselves or something for ourselves. Like, what's our legacy going to be? And again, I think it's really reassuring to hear that actually it's okay to be you know, 21, 25, whatever, and go, I'm not that ambitious and I don't know all the answers. I mean, hell, I don't know all the answers now. But there's, I think so often there's a myth with particularly this idea of the entrepreneur as being this incredibly driven, single-minded person. It was always going to happen for me. Or somebody goes, I had this really dramatic thing happen in my life and everything had to change. And actually there can be a more refreshing narrative of, no, I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot from it. And then I learned about myself. And I think this has been so crucial watching people go from employed to self-employed. I don't know about you, but a lot of time, and I'd love to talk to you more about this, a lot of time we have in our self-employed work, we're just coming up against rejection again and again and again and again. And I know that as a 21-year-old, 25-year-old, if I'd been coming up against that, I would have made it all about me and all about Laura, not about the work that I was putting out there, or more importantly, arguably, what the client wanted, what the customer wanted, just possibly not being a right fit. And I know that rejection is something that has been on your radar for quite a long time. What are your experiences with rejection? It's interesting because just hearing you talk about it like that has made, has made me reflect on my experience of it. And I think because of the way that my business started, so I feel like I should acknowledge that starting my business came with IE. My husband was employed, yeah. had a steady income. Yeah. We moved out. We couldn't afford to live on one salary in London. So we moved out of London to be near family. Um, and that was like a conscious decision that we made so that I could had the possibility of pursue, not going back to my job and pursuing 
like self-employed work. Now, I think interestingly, because I started my business while having kids, my capacity was so low in terms of how much I could do that I actually didn't need many clients or I couldn't have many clients. Like there was only so much that I could do. And so I feel like early on, there was really not that much pressure to A, earn loads of money you know like I wanted to bring some money in but it didn't have to be a full wage yeah and there was also like less pressure to bring in loads of clients because I had limited time so I think that really actually almost like protected me from the stress of rejection because there was at that point I guess and this is another privilege less pressure if I didn't find the clients that it wasn't a huge deal. And at yeah. this, at the beginning, I had my stationery shop and and then I was doing self-service, you know, like yeah. client work. So I was juggling those two things. So if one was quiet, I would just focus on the other. So I had these two things. There wasn't loads of pressure. So I think that actually, yeah, took away the stress of the rejection because it didn't feel like I had to have all of these things for my business to be successful. I was very much in a kind of playful, let's just see what happens. And enough clients seemed to always come my way, mainly because I didn't need loads. I just needed like a slow trickle. So I think because I had that situation where I could build up my business really slowly, that took off the pressure. And that meant that rejection didn't feel like as big a deal to me. And mostly that has carried on through, when it comes to client work anyway, that has carried on through as my business has grown. I think now I do feel that pressure a lot more. I feel, I guess since I've been working on my business, what I would inadvertent commas term full time, which has been for the last three years, I think that's when the rejection has really become like a thing for me. And I've sort of talked about this quite a lot, but I basically started a rejection challenge because I realized that my fear of being rejected by people was really holding me back. And it was stopping me from pursuing things that I wanted to do because I felt like, oh, I'm good. they're not, there's no way they're going to say yes. So actually it's better for me if I just don't even apply because then I can live in a world where this still could happen. I could basically delude myself that it was just because I hadn't pitched for it rather than because I they didn't want me or I wasn't yeah, the right yeah. fit. If I, you know, so there was, I guess, like a safety in just like not doing it, not pitching for it. And I think I am the sort of person that's quite self-reflective and I like to understand why I feel the way that I do. And so I think there was one particular rejection which was actually a really nice rejection and it wasn't a big deal. And it was me inviting someone to be on my podcast. And they said basically that my podcast wasn't big enough, but to get back in touch when it was. And it was actually, it was very nicely worded. It was very, it wasn't a forever no. It was like a come back to me. But I weirdly had quite an extreme sort of reaction to it where I felt really embarrassed that I'd asked and then they'd said no. And I felt, I guess, I think, I felt a bit of shame, which to me, when I look back on it, I was like, that seems like an odd response. Like there was nothing to be ashamed about. And it wasn't even like it was public. It's not like anybody else knew. So I was having all these emotions and I was like, these emotions don't feel like the right sort of proportional response to what's just happened. Like, why am I feeling like this? And that's when I started like digging into it and thinking, okay, hang on a second. If I'm having this sort of level of reaction, 
but what was a very nice, private, you know, like <laughs> safe rejection. You know, what am I being held back from because I'm so afraid of it? And so then I basically um, have, again, knowing myself. And I feel like being self-employed has been like the most exposing thing I've oh ever done God, in yeah. terms of having to get to know myself. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I've had to face myself and who I am in a way that I never have to have had before, which has been quite confronting. But having got to know myself so much better, I know that gamifying things taking something that I would find difficult and trying to make it fun. Like that sort of thing works really well for me. So I decided to set myself a challenge. And I, so I set myself this 100 rejection challenge where I was like, it was like exposure therapy. I was like, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to get rejected. And yes, exposure. So the more it happened, the better I would get dealing with it. But also I turned it into a win-win situation because, yeah. because I've made it a challenge. If they said yes, then obviously great. That's what I was hoping for. But if they said no, then it was just part of the journey and part of the story. And it was just getting me closer to this goal that I was working towards. And that really, interestingly, and I didn't really expect this, but my mindset then on rejection shifted just almost the minute I decided to do it because of that reason, because I turned it into this win-win thing. Um, and so I think, yeah, that has helped me so much in the last year, reframe rejection um, and just be so much bolder in what I'm going for. And one of the things that I think is helpful now is that if I'm not getting rejected very much, then I kind of know that it's time to like step it up a level in terms of what it is that I'm pitching for. So it actually helps me, I guess, assess what, where I am in the sort of in my surroundings and, and what kind of like level of things, what to push myself for next. I can't even remember what your original question was, but that's no, but sort of that's, my story with I rejection. I just love that story of rejection. And I love that you came to it really openly talking about coming from that point of privilege. But I love the word safety. And I think mm. it's okay to talk about wanting to feel safe in the decisions that we make around our work, which mm. ultimately is just one part of our lives. However much I'm very obsessive about my work, very obsessive. And I go through phases where I have to have my balloon burst because I'm like, no, no, but what I'm doing is very important and you need to recognize it. And what my, my ideas are very important, which is great. And it's something I'm trying to model to my kids that it's okay to love your work. It's exciting to love your work. But also to say that these pivots, they're not just about going, let's go. It's saying, what allows me to have that sense of confidence and safety and playfulness in my work? And that's obviously the point at which you've reached now. But it was also interesting hearing you talk about, and then I might pitch for this, and then I might try that, because we put so many labels on the work that we do. Like, hi, I'm Liz, and I am a brand designer. Well, tick, we've, we kind of know what design is, even if we're not in that world, and we know you know, me, my granny might not know what a brand is, but if I said to her, Apple is a brand, she'd get it. But it sounds like for you, the last three years, but the last year in particular, that obviously you have your podcast, which you share far and wide, which is a great success, but that actually through your different pivots, how would you now label yourself? Because I feel like you are much more than the title graphic designer would suggest. So what is it now that you actually, those bubbling ideas of excitement, what is it that makes you really excited in your work when you wake up, oh great, I get to do this. What is it that you actually do? That's such a great question. So I would still, if someone asked me 
So me and my husband joke about this all the time, because if we ever go to a party and someone asks us what we do, I've always had a very neat two-word answer. So I'll be like, oh, I'm a graphic designer. And everyone's response is always, oh, cool. (laughs) And my husband would get really annoyed because everyone knew immediately, like they might not understand exactly what that looked like day to day, but they had heard, they heard what it is. They were aware of what I did. And generally the perception is that's a cool job to do. His work, he could never explain in two words. So it would take this like long, you know, like explanation. And at the end of it, people weren't that much clearer about what he did. And so then he would just get really frustrated because he didn't have a neat response. So I would still always, if someone asked me what I did, I would still always say either graphic designer or branding designer because it's like neat and quick. But I think I was actually reflecting on this the other day and I was thinking about all the different strands of things that I do and it all fits under the umbrella of supporting small businesses and helping Mm -hmm. them feel more confident about what they're doing. So whether it's me designing your branding so that you feel more confident to show up in your business or whether it's you listening to my podcast so you can learn more about running a business and about branding and marketing, Or you take one of my courses and I teach you how to create your own branding so you feel more confident. Or with Adobe, I do lots of like educational content, which again, it's around Adobe Express. It's around making design more accessible. It's around helping small businesses promote themselves more effectively. So I feel like everything um, and not necessarily, I didn't do this. I think I did do this strategically, but in a subconscious level, I choose things based on my values and what's important to me. So I think they did all come together in that sense, you know, because they aligned with what I was trying to do. But I don't think I went into it super strategically. This is this is what I want to do. This is my vision. And I'm going to go and find these things to do that fit in with it. I think it's on reflection that I can look back and say, okay, these opportunities that I said yes to, these things that I've started, I can actually now see how they all come together And they all fit under this umbrella of supporting small businesses because that's effectively everything fits with that. So I would still always say that I was a branding designer or a graphic designer first. But I think there is a wider passion and a wider story of just supporting small businesses to feel more confident with promoting themselves. And I do really believe that design and how your branding looks like plays such a huge part in that in the same way that like how you dress plays such a big part in how you show up physically like how you feel your confidence I think how your business looks and feels and is perceived by other people like that plays a big part in how you feel about your business and then subsequently like how you show up in your business and it was actually really nice hearing your intro because I think often like we don't we don't get to hear what other people think about our businesses unless they're complaining, <laughs> like, unless it's one extreme or the other. So yeah. either they've had a terrible experience or they've had a good experience and they leave you a testimonial. But you don't sort of just, you know, we haven't worked together. You don't necessarily get to hear how just someone who's consuming your content online thinks of your business. And so it was really nice to sort of hear oh, your perception of my business. And it's really encouraging because it's like, oh, okay, great. Like it is coming across how I intend it to come across. Because I think once you're like when you're quite like in the thick of it and you're doing all these different things, like it's it, you don't always necessarily know how that is being perceived by other people. No, um, and sometimes that's really exposing because you're like, oh, you think that? Mm. Oh, OK, I need to go back. But no, I think what comes across 
very clearly with you is this kind of this supportive energy that you speak about. And I think what's interesting is I wonder if that is one of your values and if your values have changed as obviously you've changed and grown in your life since you were that graduate. But do you feel like your values have remained the same or have they evolved as your life has evolved? I think this is interesting because I think often as people, we don't spend time outside of work defining what our personal values are we know what they are deep down and probably if someone really pushed us we could articulate them but they're just this thing that we live and we don't necessarily think about and I think yeah so I think I hadn't necessarily thought much about what my values were as a person I now think about it a lot as a business owner and I think mostly if I really dug down, I think a lot of them are still the same. And I think a lot of them are very linked to what my personal values are. I mm-hmm. think because I have, a, especially because I have a personal brand, I think there's often a lot of crossover. I think I've got better at maybe articulating them or understanding how they fit, you know, within my business and what it is that I'm trying to do. So one of my values is definitely generosity. And I think When I think about the different aspects of my business, so like particularly the pod, creating content and supporting other people, that is really important to me. And I think that fits under that value. I think, interestingly, I've got a couple of people that I work with who I feel like really get my values and my, um, like really understand my brand really well. So one of them is Lucy, who's my podcast editor. And then the other is a friend of mine called Lois, who does a bunch of work for me. And I'll often talk to them about opportunities that come up and they will be able, often will be able to express to me, this doesn't feel like it aligns with your values or this does feel really aligned with your values. And that's so helpful because I feel like they really get it. And even if I haven't like, even if I haven't expressed what the values are, they have a certain level of understanding of my business that they don't even need me to articulate that. They just know what fits in and what doesn't. And there's definitely things, there's definitely opportunities that have come my way where it's all someone's offering to pay me money for X, Y, Z, but it just doesn't feel on brand and it doesn't Mm. feel aligned with my values. And it's nice to know that there are other people that can sort of pick up on that as well. Because it is, I think it's, even if you're clear on what your values are, um, it's still quite hard to live them out consistently and to make those right decisions. And I've definitely made uh, wrong decisions in the past and that has helped me get clearer on what they are. But yeah, I think generosity is definitely one of them. I think collaboration, like my process of how I create branding is very collaborative. It's definitely not like I go off and I just tell you, here's your branding. Um, So that like that, there's definitely like a very relational aspect to everything that I do and building those relationships, even with the podcast. One of the things that surprised me most about the podcast, that again, I didn't really go into it necessarily planning for or expecting, but is the network that I've created or the relationships I've built off the back of it. And I think there is something, there's something amazing about spending an hour chatting to someone and asking them really personal questions and even though that might be the only proper conversation I have with these people there's then a connection Mm -hmm. and it means that we could go to each they'll come back to me and be like oh I've got a question about this about a podcast can I ask you or I'll go to them there's like this relationship then that exists 
And so in that sense, it's like really expanded my sort of opportunities for collaboration, my um, opportunities for relationship. And so I think all, all of the things that you picked up on and that you mentioned, like the sort of supportive nature, the, yeah, like the content, all that kind of thing, I think all, yeah, all fits in with my values. And I don't think they have changed that much. I just think I've got better at um, recognizing them myself. And I am in the process of getting better at articulating them and making decisions for my business off the back of them. So in the past, I would have done that more instinctively and sometimes it would have gone wrong and sometimes I wouldn't have got it right. Whereas now I feel like I make those decisions more intentionally. And yeah, I still get it wrong every now and then, but on the whole, those values help me make better decisions for my business. And one of the lessons that I've been learning weirdly a lot in the last month is, or maybe the last few months, I've had a lot of situations where incredible opportunities have been presented to me, but they're not the right fit for me. And I've had okay. to say no. And that's been scary because on paper, or if I was to tell you the opportunity, you would be like, that's great. You should totally go for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like as someone who maybe doesn't know me that well. And so I've had to say no, knowing that to the, to other people, that is going to look like a crazy decision. But actually, it's been really empowering. It's been so empowering to say no to things that I know aren't right for me or aren't aligned with my values. And it's scary because it's turning down an opportunity that on paper is amazing. Mm. But it has been really empowering because it gives me confidence and it reminds me that my business is going to do better and is going to go well if I make my decisions aligned with my values and who I am as a person even when other people might not agree with me or yeah. might not think it was the right decision for me. And actually, there's something wonderful, isn't there, about going, this isn't right for me, so in a way I'm gifting this to someone else. It's yeah. that extension of generosity of being like, no, this isn't going to work for me, but you might want to think about this person and it's going to be amazing. And it's so nice to hear you talking about connection. It's one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast because I just love people and mm. it's exactly the same as you. We'll finish this recording and I'll be like, whenever your number, can we meet and but one of the reasons that I asked you to do this podcast was I can't even remember why I got in touch with you. I think it was something about Flowdesk. Oh yeah. And your responses were so warm and generous without being like, oh yeah, great. Okay, well one day you might be a client. So I'm gonna be this incredibly professional, friendly person. It was just human talking to human. And it's those small acts of generosity that can lead to these big moments of connection. And more so now than ever, I think, understanding that if we can keep generosity and connection and collaboration at the core of what we do, we're so much more likely to find ultimately financial success more than many of the other markers of success that we determine. Like you mentioned work-life balance and just that feeling of contentment around our work. You know, you mentioned earlier that your stationary business was originally like a hobby business. And then suddenly there comes that point of going, no, I, I actually need to either match my employed income or I need to replace my employed income and more, do you still get the middle of the night panic about, I guess your business isn't nearly as seasonal as some businesses, although perhaps it is, I don't know. Do you get those kind of, oh my God, we've got to pay for all the new uniform and we've got to pay for this and we've got to do, 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 do or do you feel like you found an equilibrium at this point in your business? 
Um, so one thing I just realized that I hadn't, haven't said is that when I had my second child, I decided to shut the stationary business and go yeah. all in on the service-based business. Um, and that is key because I basically got to the point where I kind of felt like I could make either of them a success, but not both of them. Yeah. And so I needed to pick one. And I feel amazingly, I feel like I made the right decision. I think to answer your question, I think generally, and again, this comes from a place of massive privilege. I don't get super stressed about I've been quite fortunate in that I've had like a steady flow of clients not like crazy numbers or anything but enough to like keep me ticking over and not get too stressed about things I think as my business has grown I think it's helped that my business has grown slowly and I Mm. think one of the things that actually is helpful to talk about because I feel like so much of what we see online is very rapid growth and for a very various reasons, my business, that has not been how it's gone. It might look, if people find me now and only see my recent content, it might look like, oh, suddenly I'm on a lot of more podcasts or I'm doing this or whatever, but it's yeah, yeah, not, yeah. it's been like so slow. So I think that's helped in terms yeah. of, I. it's not like I suddenly went from nothing to something and I needed to maintain that level of thing and that level of finances it has been a so slow growth there's yeah there's been a lot of privileges so one of the privileges being that for when I started building my business my husband was employed so he had a steady income it wasn't until my business had started gaining momentum and I was more confidently earning a certain amount that he went self-employed and then I think Another thing that's helped is that both of the things that we do, pretty this might change in the future, but are very in demand. I was quite fortunate that I didn't really like lose much of my work in the pandemic, but I did intentionally start doing other things as well. So I did intentionally diversify my income so that it wasn't all focused on clients. And I think, again, that's really helped. I feel like if client works like quieter I can be promoting my courses I can be pitching to podcast sponsors there's other ways I can bring money in so that has given me a certain level of security but what I would say is and I and then sorry the other factor is that we're both self-employed so actually he'll have times where he's busier and bringing in more money and I'll we'll basically both ebb and flow but almost because we're both doing it between us we're a team and that so I think having two of us gives another level of security that I definitely wouldn't have if I was doing this like on my own Mm. so there's all those different factors I would say that there's like definitely still a general low level of anxiety I think it'll always be like a niggle in the back of my mind because I don't every month the amount of money that I bring in changes yeah, and there yeah. is something a little bit unsettling about that. It's exciting because some months I can have a bumper month and it's yeah. like, okay, this is really exciting. But then all, but then on the flip side, another month, it can be less than I ideally would want to earn. And then that can be quite stressful. We've got two kids to like feed and clothe <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's not just us. It's not like, oh, we would just need to scale back. It's okay, actually, there's more of us involved. Yeah. I think, yeah, the diversifying my income has definitely helped with that. And I think different, yeah, different decisions that I've made have made it. So yeah, always there, but it's not super stressful. I think one of the things that I am working on at the moment, and this sort of ties back to what I was talking about with the nose, 
I definitely still feel like I have a bit of that freelance mindset where it's like needing to say yes to everything because you don't know when the next project will come up. And so I'm, yeah, I've been having to try and work through that and, and to follow the values and to trust that when someone isn't the right client, the right fit for me, that if I say no, that's opened me up to something else coming along. But there is, there's always, I think there's always going to be like an underlying fear that suddenly all the work will dry up or I won't get any clients or things will change. I that just is think, the nature of self-employed life, yeah. isn't it? That I've had, my husband's been self-employed since forever and there comes a point, particularly in December, we're recording in December 2023, where I have to say yes to everything because he's a singer. So it's Christmas, there's a lot of singing about Jesus at the moment. And if he says no, that's going to be it, you know, because I'm not going to earn anything in January. And it never pans out like that. I have to ask, what does your husband do? <laughs> oh, I made it sound really, I basically avoided explaining <laughs> it. I feel it. Like, no, but you I said it was hard it. to explain, but we need it's, to know what this man does. He, okay, he, I probably wouldn't explain it the way he does. He's an, he's basically an education consultant, but he advises companies and universities about how to take their courses online and how to effectively promote their courses online. So it's all about online learning. So right. that's why for him, he was in high demand in the pandemic because all of a sudden yeah. all these universities, all these companies were desperate to get their content online. And so actually that was another reason why it was a slightly less risky for him to take the leap in the pandemic because actually he was uh, quite in demand. So yeah, I intentionally didn't explain it because I never do a very good job of explaining it. But then that made it it sound like it was something really exciting. (laughs) It's not that exciting. You know what? For a significant minority, they'll be (laughs) thrilled. And as someone that's been in education for forever, I'm totally on board with it. And it's, it's been such a joy to speak to you and I could speak to you for hours. Um, I've got one more question to ask you, which I ask all my guests, which is, is there a pivot that you feel like you haven't taken yet? But in the back of your mind, there's that dream. It's like, one day, Liz, one day we're going to do this. Oh, good question. I feel like my brain doesn't really work like that because I feel like my goals change all the time. Like I I feel like I hold all my goals quite lightly and I'm like, oh, there's something that I would love to do. But then actually if something else better, I'm open to the fact that if something else better comes along, that's a better fit that I'll drop my other goals and I'll be like, oh, okay, this is the one. There's a few things that in my head down the line I think would be awesome to do but I am holding them quite lightly. So one of them is, it would be, I think this is probably everyone's dream, but I would love to write a book one day. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I'm not so obsessed with it that I couldn't let it go and do yeah, something yeah. else. But I think that would be really cool. And I think it would fit in with what I'm doing. And yeah, it, it feels like it could work. Another one, I, I, so I've started doing more public speaking this year and I have actually really enjoyed it and so I think that could be like a really exciting pivot in the not too distant future to do more um, speaking events one of my dreams I've done there's an event called Adobe Max that happens in LA every year and I've done two virtual talks for them and one of my dreams is to do something in person so that'll be on my goals list until yeah. it happens come on Adobe <laughs> make it happen flyer over first class make that dream reality I see no reason why that isn't going to happen one day. We'll have to listen back in a few years and be like, yeah, I that's know. where she, that's where I she said it. I need to like. remember to come back and listen to this and, yeah. we'll, and see, <laughs> check in and see if I did either of those things. 
Liz, thank you so much for joining me on Pivot. Thank you so much for having me. I have loved chatting to you. (laughs) Likewise. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Pivot the Podcast. It means so much to get your lovely reviews and feedback. You can always email me hello at lauraoldfield.com. Visit my website, lauraoldfield.com. Let's make friends on Instagram, lauraoldfield underscore. Or you could be amazing. You could subscribe and leave me a five-star review. How special would that be? It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a small business owner or a freelancer or a creative who's looking for some coaching or mentoring, I'm your girl. And if you're looking for a singer, again, hello. Thanks once more for listening and I'll see you in a fortnight. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast. You can find us where you might expect like Apple and Spotify. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast. Please would you subscribe today. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast. Please would you subscribe today.